Guru Nation, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. It really means a lot to me. If you haven't subscribed, please do so. Thank you so much. Leave a review. I wanted to also thank my sponsors who make this show possible. The first one is Viva Sight Vault. Absolutely free. By the way, links to all of this stuff is in the show notes. Viva Sight Vault. If you are a site and you wanted to dip your toe into going digital and for e-reg and to start messing around with e-signatures, this is the way to go. They are the biggest name in our industry from a tech vendor standpoint. They're site-centric. They make this easy for us, guys and gals. And it's absolutely free. Sites.viva.com. Check it out. I use it. I also use Versatrail, which is my next sponsor. Versatrail has made my life so easy as a coordinator from an organization standpoint. Links to all these portals are in one easy place. You can literally link to anything you can think of, whether it's a protocol or it's the latest informed consent form or it's the IRT or it's the vendor to upload this or the other vendor to upload that. It's all there in one easy place. Not to mention, they do a lot on the feasibility side, which makes feasibility surveys a breeze. Check it out. This is a company that is going places. Versatrail. My next sponsor is Creo. I've been using Creo for years. They are eSource and eReg and CTMS and patient database and eConsent and so many more other things. And while they are not free, I definitely think it is worth the price for what you are getting. It has streamlined my research studies and my site, and I got all my coordinators trained on it, and I could not picture running my site without Creo. So check it out. Link in the show note. Finally, Inato, a free service for business development. Go figure. Link in the show note. It makes figuring out what studies you want easier. It makes figuring out what you're going to get if you accept the study super simple. And it really streamlines the process for knowing what's out there on the market. You can use it for as many investigators as you have. And again, it's absolutely free in Nato. Also in the show notes are links to the businesses I own, specifically DSCS, where we help sites get studies, do their contracts, help you with surveys, anything else you can think of, a shoulder to cry on, low monthly fee. And then we have the CRA, CRC Academies, and everything else. Guru Nation, welcome back. I can't believe it's been four years. Elizabeth Weeks wrote, I thought when I messaged you, I can't remember what inspired me to message you. I think I saw something, a post or a comment, and I thought, okay, like we're probably due for another podcast. But I thought, you know, when I messaged you, I thought maybe it's too soon because we just did one like so recently, and it turns out it's four years ago. So... There goes my like reservations. We're living in a warp time on LinkedIn. Like we're all connected, uh, and it, it skews our perception of time. But I we haven't been, we haven't done this for four years. I every time I speak with you, I enjoy it, and I honestly didn't even realize it had been four years until I was thinking back. Um, 
I, you know, we do speak frequently on LinkedIn through posts. The impetus for this was you made such an insightful comment about decentralized clinical trials. And like I joked with you, I don't speak because I don't have the expertise. I have a little bit of knowledge, but I love the back and forth because you guys are, you know, the site owners and right there. And I've been to so many sites and I've been to your site, which was great. And I, I, what sparked that was I thought what you wrote was very insightful and I noted it. And then that was the exchange, but yeah, I feel like we talk so much more that it seems like it's on the podcast, but it's not. (laughs) I forgot you even stopped by my site back in Costa Mesa. Uh, Wow. That must have been like eight years ago now. That was, and that was, a uh, that was, long story short, I wrote, self-published that book. I sent it to you because I sent it to all the influencers that I had noted and you were nice enough to read it. And then on the other side of that coin around the same time, I think I went to your site first, just a total random for the organization I was previously working for. And um, I saw you and I saw you on the couch filming and then it clicked in my head. (laughs) That's the guy. And then that's what inspired me when a couple of years later, when I wrote my book to send you a copy. So it's like uh, yes. serendipity three wow. times, four times over. <laughs> I, yeah. Thank you for reminding me about that. I, I was about to say we've never met in person, but that's not true. It was just so long ago. We got to do it again. I hope you'll be at save our sites conference. I would love to go. I Let's think it's it. long it. overdue and I look forward to it, especially because you're having it in the West, which mm-hmm. no one, it's rarely happens in the West. So Tucson, and we're going to do some stuff in California in the future, future um, conferences. California is so expensive and it made more sense to do Arizona for the first year. And I think Brad and Dr. Fox have their cities in line for the next two oklahoma and illinois but after that after that maybe we'll bring it back to california back to the roots where it needs to be it's just geez it's so expensive to do anything in california especially like san diego or orange county um but thank you for coming on yeah we can get into a lot of stuff the conference dct but i wanted to get into your career because Again, it's been four years since we've talked, and you're you're someone who's done just about everything in this space. You've outside of owning a site, you've worked at all the big CROs. Just about you've been clinical ops manager, CRA, site engagement liaison. Um, now you're now you're going on to do independent work. As of May, so as of just. Like two months ago, right? Exactly. Um, this is my not that I'm counting. <laughs> this is my seventh week, and seven. next week is my eighth week. So t- almost two months, and it's I can't, it, it I can't believe it's been that. I mean, it, that's such a short time, but relatively speaking, I can't believe it's been two months. So, what is your? This is the first time you've gone solo, like on your own. This no safety net. Years, no safety net. Twenty three years. Um, 23 years working for CROs. Well, the study coordinator was my first job, but then working for various CROs, great experiences, you know, especially my last organization I worked for, you know, I worked for PPD, greatest company in the world. Wow. I will 
honestly say compared to the other heroes you've worked at they're the best i mean it's a moment in time me, they change right they change yeah, with mergers yeah, and yeah. all that i will say that every company that i've worked for has been wonderful but i worked for ppd the longest and it was my the most wonderful experience i've ever had um wow. just for various reasons and so you know bittersweet um but they're a great organization um and i went out on my own i I thought I'd been, it had been brewing around in my head for a while to do it because, you know, I like to do different things. I mean, like you said, I've worked in various different positions and um, I've gained a lot of expertise in um, site identification and evaluation. Um, you know, I think that's when you came models. to my site in Costa Mesa for like a yeah. selection visit or something. It was. And that was yeah. really cool. The Your staff were great. You had a great setup. I can't remember the study, but that was a, that Not was a great either. experience. Rest in peace, guys... global clinical trials. We had we had like a window, but like, see, this is a whole another podcast. Site owning a site, especially a startup, very difficult. I don't recommend it for most people. Um. Yeah. I. I. It's not. I can honestly say that it's not a venture I will ever um <laughs> try to go into. I don't think I have the nerve. I have. I'm pretty. I've got pretty good nerves of steel, but I don't think I have <laughs> that level of nerves of steel. But yeah. um, I just wanted to. Uh, I kind of had been thinking about being independent for a while, and just honestly, I wanted the opportunity to just. You know, I've developed different skill sets and I wanted to just be able to take my career to the next level and, and branch out and do a little bit more, um, just do a little bit more. And so that's kind of what I'm I'm doing. I'm doing training. I'm doing content development, um, clinical operations, um, support consulting, you know, different things. Um, and it's very interesting. Um, I'm, you know. Thank goodness I worked in business development a long time ago because I learned the benefits of marketing yourself. Yeah, um, but you've been doing that very well. You've been doing you. that extremely well using LinkedIn and even before LinkedIn got big, uh, the book. I mean, I never really, maybe I did get into it, but there's so many topics we can discuss, but why, I think they're all related to you. Why, what made you, when was the book? Like 10 years ago? The book was two thousand. It was eight years ago. It was two thousand and fifteen. Twenty fifteen. What made you want to write this book? Like, it takes a special kind of person to want to do that. That's not a easy thing to do. And you know, because you are an author <laughs> several times over. I mean, several times. I think I looked on Amazon one day, and haven't you truly? Haven't you written like <laughs> a bunch of books? And I'm not trying to embarrass one real one. Like, one real know. one. One, the, I wrote a bunch of like Kindle singles, which now are no longer, I took them all off once I wrote the comprehensive guide, but I'm in the process of writing another book right now. Oh, wonderful. Um, I think what, I think what the inspiration for me to write that book was, I've always been a writer. Um, I've always enjoyed creative writing and I've been able to kind of intersect scientific and creative in my writing. Um, I wanted to study coordinators, in my opinion, hardest workers in clinical research. Hmm. Under under recognized, not as much as now. I think they're getting more recognition, more. But you know, under recognized, I don't think as appreciated as they should be. I worked as a coordinator for nine or ten months. I got a taste of it. 
Um, I learned a ton. Um, and I don't know, as I progressed in my career, I, I thought, what what is a great book topic? How a, cord a nurse fell into research and became a coordinator. And it wasn't people say, oh, the book's based on you. I'm like, no, it's not. There's a little bit of me, but there's really the great coordinators with whom I've worked when I was a new CRA, the coordinators who trained me. Because trust me when I tell you, when I was a new CRA back in 2000, 2001, awesome coordinators solidified and helped train me as I went along. Because I was the newbie CRA. I knew things, but I was learning and growing. And I had great study coordinators say, that's not really, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I listened because I'm humble and people um, who know more than me, please tell me what I need to know. And I became better at my job because of study coordinator. So it just seemed a logical topic. Who are the unsung heroes? Not me, because I only did it briefly. The coordinators who've been doing it, who help the patients, who help make the studies go. And it's just an interesting, funny book about uh, a study nurse who becomes a, a nurse who walks in to a clinic, applies for a job, and walks out a coordinator. And just what happened, her training, her adventures. Um, there are some characters based on real people. I mean, you would never, they would never know, and everything is positive. But um, yeah, I self-published it on Amazon. And my my joke is it, it sold about 50 copies. It's you know? tough to do. It's very tough. We'll, we'll put the link underneath this video. Uh, it's still on there, right? It's got to still it be is. on there. Yeah, we'll put it the is. link and underneath this video. So you, and if you're listening in the show notes, go buy it. It's amazing. It's the origin story, more or less, um, combined with the educational info, nugget, career stuff. And we're going to talk about a lot of that in this, a lot of those themes in this podcast too, hopefully. But I just, I always try to figure out like what makes, because it's related, like the reason you wrote that book, I'm, I think on some level is related to the same decision-making that it would take for you to leave a stable job after like 20 some odd years and go on your own. You know, my greatest loves are training and education and create creating content. And there are more opportunities to do this independently and understandably because when you work for an organization, you are making an agreement to follow with the confines of your role or externally if they need you to, because that's who your loyalty is to. And that makes total sense. And I did that wonderfully and happily and had wonderful experiences. But I wanted, I, I just felt, you know, I've done book updates in my career um, and I've been able to write articles like you and, and do creative things. And I just felt in my heart, I wanted to see if I could successfully focus more on creating content, training other aspects. I'm not limiting myself if I need to. And if there's an opportunity to do contract CRA work, absolutely would I do that. Mm -hmm. But I'm able to do a lot of little different things and some big things. And that's what I like. Do you think And I'm really go ahead sorry this is where it gets interesting for the viewers and the listeners because a lot of them see themselves in you maybe and want to do this i i know i get and you probably get also tons of cra's asking me hey how do i go out on my own it's nice to do what i'm doing but 
I feel like there's more I can be doing. And on your LinkedIn, independent clinical research consultant says uh, content creation, book updates, marketing blogs, articles, training and development, public speaking, and then ClinOps, which includes site selection, investigational site models, process, monitoring activities, CRA. And this is where I, I see like if I'm assuming you work with biotech, small, smaller sponsors. Variety. Hmm. Variety. I mean, it, it, it's, you know, I, obviously I can't name them, but it's like, you know, um, I'm doing a little bit of a lot of different things and pre-public, I, public, know, some of them pre-publicly traded, some of them pre-publicly traded, some of them publicly traded, but all sponsors, um, right? Or are you contracting also with CROs? You know, I haven't, I'm not doing any monitoring work right now. Okay. And the companies I work with are variety, public, public, private. Um, and it's not like it's a ton, but it's just, it's very unique and different. Um, and I, and I love it. So. But it's perfect because you can use your skill set that you've developed to help these biotechs. So now when a biotech may ask you, Hey, Elizabeth, Thanks for setting up our processes and all this and helping us identify some sites who actually need some monitoring help too. You, you're willing to jump in and do it because it's for yourself. It's for a client as opposed to just working a job as a CRA for a CRO. Do you think my question is, do you think you could have done this sooner? Did you have the skill set to be able to do this earlier or did you do it at the perfect time? I think for me, I might have had the skill set a couple years ago, and I mean literally like one or two years ago. Mm. I think because I guess you could say I'm a control freak. <laughs> Not that none <laughs> of us right. are. Um, I my husband is a successful entrepreneur. Not in our industry, obviously. So I've always felt like it was a nice balance. He has two small company. Well smaller companies. He's been doing this. He did it in England for successfully for 15 years. He moved here 23 years ago and, you know, did it. And I felt like that was a nice balance in our marriage. Some per, uh, steady income versus hmm. steady, but burst. Right. Mm -hmm. And I felt like as things in my career have progressed and I developed skills and I've kind of been able to build my brand more, I think I just sat there one day and thought, this is the right time because I've been able to put my name out there and get my name out there decently yeah. and build my brand and do different things. And I think as you develop the, those credentials, you develop this, the confidence and trust that you need when people are asking for your services, consulting, writing. So I think, I think within the last two years, it would have been the right time, but before that, I'm not sure. Confidence. For me, it all worked out perfectly. I mean, not perfectly, you know, there are hiccups challenges because it's new and different. And but uh the timing was right for me. Confidence is something you mentioned that I was gonna ask about. So a common theme, many of these same people that reach out to me, it's not the skills they're lacking, it's the confidence. And that could be confident. Everyone's personal situation is different. Not everyone is in a marriage not everyone's in a relationship everyone's situation's different but i one of the themes one of the common threads that we can follow is confidence and lack thereof or plenty of 
for everyone it's different but when was it when you felt hey you know what i actually can do this and like do you remember like a specific moment when you felt like you know what i could actually do this on my own or did it just happen like over time gradually i think i think i had my moment around the time of the acrp conference i don't know if it was one moment i think it was a, a time frame that led up to an, an kind of an epiphany hmm. and it was just like i need to try this you know the voice in my head god whatever you want to say this year's acrp like, conference 2023 yes yes wow and and i'm not saying it had directly to do with acrp or anything i mean i love them and they let me speak at their conferences but i just think being in that environment speaking people you see questions answered feelings confirmations and I think the last month prior to that, it led up to and mm. opportunities earlier this year, opportunities were presented. I can't go into specifics, obviously, but opportunities were presented. And I thought, can't really do that because I'm not independent. <laughs> and yeah. then it was like, hmm. I felt compelled to try because of what was coming and manifesting in my life. Yeah. So it, it, it was kind of a, a series of events, serendipity, and then the at that conference it was kind of like solidified things so i think that answers your question it does it feels like the conference and a lot of people actually maybe this is one of the things that uh i like about conferences even though i don't go to too many is like they can serve as a catalyst um for speeding up a reaction that would have taken longer on its own to play out Maybe it just like sped it up. Just like in, in biology, you have enzymes that speed up reactions uh, that would happen anyways, but it just would take very long for it to occur. Maybe that's what ACRP was for you in this case, combined with all the other stuff that led up to it. You know, you made a great point. Um, obviously, you've been on your own since, what, 15 years? <laughs> Day one. Years? Uh, yeah, I think I it's 18 say, I mean, now. Have yeah. you ever worked for anyone else? <laughs> I had a contract roles here and there as a CRA, but it, not really. Okay. Um, I was very fortunate because two different things helped me. And I still le am learning, have, had to learn, but I went in with knowledge ahead of time because I man had, in my career, when I was a CRA manager in the past, I managed contractors. This is like 2008 or nine. So I learned a lot about okay, I learned about that side of the 1099 contractor. Then fast forward to my marriage, my husband um, came here and then he went off on his own again after shortly after he and I got married. And I learned about quarterlies, incorporating projections, because I was part of, you know, like any good wife, I don't let my husband touch the bills. <laughs> ah. <laughs> So it's like, you know, and he knew a lot about that. And and I've been very fortunate with my husband because with that prior knowledge and then with helping him manage those aspects of his business, I went in already with a like the first thing I did when I decided to go, become two things. I went in, I became a consultant already having secured a little bit of work, not a lot, but a little because, you know, you don't know. And then the second thing I did was meet with my CPA. 
mm-hmm. and said, this is what I'm doing. This is what I think I need to do. And then he gave me the list of, well, incorporating this, this, blah, blah, projections. And so I, I started out right from the get-go wow. with the knowledge, you know, liability insurance, this and that. And so I felt very fortunate that information I had gleaned from my life and professional and personal life helped me. I think, I th- and I'm, I'm new to this, I'm learning, but what I know previously is that you really have to think, I mean, it's a great, it's a great idea. Oh, I want to be independent. But then you think have to think about some a wise CEO said to me recently, you're marketing every day, right? Every day in some way. Um, uh, and then, you know, be open. Don't, you know, like, don't just say, this is what I'm doing. Expect things to be slow because they're going to be at times. Um, you know, and then I think some people underestimate how difficult it can be. Another CEO at the ACRP conference joked around with me and said, have you had the 3 a.m. panic attacks yet? <laughs> I, said, I said, actually, I have And it's not really panic attacks. And I'd never make light of that. But I mean, you wake up at three in the morning and your brain's like, and you start making lists. And I email oh, myself. Yeah. And that's that's what makes you, that's what plan helps you plan and become successful. But Even when times are good. Even when times are good as a solopreneur, you're going to have that. Like, yeah. uh, And then when times are bad, forget about it. We can get into stories I had about just making payroll over a decade ago. I mean, waking up three in the morning because that's when the bank clears new income, like new revenue. So waking up refreshing 301, 303. 3.30, did that payment come in? Or do, am I going to have to pay my staff for my savings? Like, that's some real stuff that people don't talk about. Yeah, I, I just think that I, I'm not discouraging anyone. I think if you have the gumption and the skills, go for it. But mm-hmm. I think you really need to do research. And this is just as a, I mean, I'm not a you're one level next level with your businesses and everything. I'm an independent consultant. It's me. So, but you still have to do research. I mean, I was, you know, I Googled, what do I need to set up my small business? I asked my husband, he's probably like, okay, I need to leave now. <laughs> Cause I'm asking <laughs> him all these questions. I'm very lucky with him. Um, you know, asking friends, colleagues, um, this, that, trying not to hit bombard one person with 18 questions because people are busy. They're running their businesses. Mm-hmm. I've, I've been very fortunate that I've had a lot of nice help from colleagues with just little, ask this question here, ask this question there. I do get asked a lot of questions and I wish I could help people, but you know, it, it, you can help a little bit, but then you can't have your full-time job being helping other people with their businesses. Uh, yeah, that, that would be a full-time. And your your posts, I mean, you just had one on delegation of authorities log. You're a lot of engagement on those things. You're definitely helping a lot of people just through your post. When you went solo, May 2023, did you already have a client lined up or did you have to... Did you go solo and then you had to go look for a client? I had um I had stuff in the works before I went solo. That's okay. what I'll say. Okay. Yeah. I, nice. I would not have gone solo had I not had stuff in the works. How many people, Elizabeth, are just like real talk, okay? 
let's say 10-year senior CRA, 10 years of being a senior CRA, just a hypothetical person. This is like the typical CRA that reaches out to me and asks me for advice on going solo. Usually they're like 10 years senior CRA. They work their way up. Comfortable job. Everything's paid for. Healthcare, everything. Kids are grown up now. They've got a little nest egg. How many of those people are out there, do you think, percentage-wise, that you think would actually do very well if they went solo, but they're just afraid? Like, percentage-wise, do you think it's uh, half, less than half? Just spitballing, I would guess 25 30%. That would um, actually succeed. Yes, I do, because I think that if you... Okay, let me premise, preface this by saying as contract CRAs. I can't as contract speak to CRA. Other... So only yes. 30, let's go with 30. Only 30% would even be successful as just contract CRAs. Well, let me let me give context to what I'm saying. I think, okay, that's that's probably not fair. Let's say 40 to 50%. That's still and low. I'm not, wow. I'm not, well, no, that, that makes me, that makes me sound negative. And no, I'm no, not but go with it, go all. with it. Yeah, go with it. Because I'm, I'm th- caught off guard. Um, I, I think, let's say half. Okay. And I'll say because I think, unfortunately, there's the old adage that overnight success takes 10, 15 years, right? Yeah. Um, I think that people underestimate the difficulty and the stress and the worry. I think sometimes people think it's going to be as, and being a CRA is like super hard. Trust me, I know. But when you work for an organization, it's a challenging job, but you are, when you're, and I'm talking about 1099 contractors, not W-2 contractors. When you are, um, sorry, my computer's being funny. When you are thinking about becoming a contract CRA 1099, I think people underestimate finding work, being your own resourcing person, health benefits. And and I think that some people might jump, uh, pull the trigger, and then after a month or two, what am I doing? Because it's scary, <laughs> right? And then I think, and give up maybe. And then I think, so that's that's kind of what I'm thinking. Like, I think people think that becoming independent is, and it's wonderful, trust me. There are positives, there are negatives, just like working for an organization. But I think sometimes people underestimate. Yeah. I And I'm not saying I'm an expert at all. I am not. But I went in knowing the risks because I had someone who's been doing it for 14 years and I've done it with them. And I'm not even saying I'm successful so far. Things are going pretty well, but I also had to lay a lot of passive work by doing extra stuff, evenings, weekends to be able to say, Hey, you know, this might work out. Yeah. yeah. Maybe I'm with you then on the 50%. I think I'm with you then on the 50%. It makes sense that, I think 100% of them believe, hey, I know how to be a CRA. I should just do this on my own and make more. But I think half of them don't have a plan for the business side. Like, how are you going to actually get the contracts? Do people magically know you exist and 
If so, do they trust you? And if so, like, how are you going to make sure you keep finding new ones? Because uh, you got to talk to like 10 clients before you get one or two seriously interested. And that doesn't happen overnight. That takes time. And and I, I hear what you're saying. And I agree with you because, um, you know, there are so many awesome CRAs and even the CRAs of the 50% who, who wouldn't succeed would isn't aren't because they don't have the skills, right? They could be uh -huh. brilliant. Uh -huh. I mean, there are so many good CRAs that they're plenty better than me. Um, but you have to have what it, who said, uh, Success is 99% perspiration and 1% inspiration. I can't remember who said that. I think that. it was Thomas Edison. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you're right. And I think that I think that you have to have, I mean, you. no one's going to, I don't think anybody could start being an independent consultant or contract, or sorry, an independent contractor or consultant already having work lined up if they're already working for, I mean, it's not possible. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I don't mean, I don't mean not having some work, but I mean, you know, there's a, a, a bridge of time between leaving full-time employment and starting yeah. a full-time contract. But I think that's underestimated. And then the business side, like you said, that's not realized. It's just like, I'm going to pull the trigger and do it. And then it's like, Oh, I didn't yeah. realize this. I didn't realize this. And I still didn't realize everything. I mean, like, you know, health insurance. I mean, you know, super expensive ton of, yes. And, and, you know, people think, uh, you know, I went through, um, a consultant to help navigate me through the marketplace because I did not feel like I had enough knowledge to know what was the right choice for my family. So for the that's one thing, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's me one too. thing. Me too. Yeah. And and you know, <laughs> I then still the other don't thing, know. <laughs> hey, you know, and you have to know about it for our state, cover California versus not, and yep. blah blah blah. And you know, so you just I mean, and and so you just have to think about the time for administrative stuff. So I had to set up time before, you know, working in business development, setting up calls, doing the administrative stuff. So it's a it's there's so many people that you bring up a really good set of points that I think people need to discuss. Like it's nice to want to go out on your own, whether it's start a site or do what Elizabeth is doing, consulting. People think, okay, well, my skill set is there. Like I know how to do a site. There are so many good site directors out there. Like I'm not even a very good one, but I, I yeah, could almost. <laughs> I'm decent. I can get the job done, but there's like on LinkedIn, based on the comments I get, like I already know these guys and gals, they know their stuff. Like they can run a site. I don't think the majority of them could run the business though. That's the difference. And there, I think people get stuck in mastering the actual work that they ignore everything else. And then they get blindsided by the market. Like, how are you going to get studies? I mean, how are you going to get new stuff? How are you, let's start even before that. How are you going to get a PI? Like you have to convince a physician to want to work with you. A lot of these site directors that have grown up at sites where they're just managing people, they already have the physicians working there. Like they're just managing. So they they've developed these personalities where it's they're not they don't need to be influential or persuasive. They just need to like get the job done they need to be managers well that's that's actually the opposite personality you need to go out in the community and convince 
a physician who's already busy to want to work research with you. So I think we have to separate the skill. Do you think all this is to ask, do you think there's a, um, there's a diminishing return on developing the same skill set over and over like monitoring? I mean, you can only get so good at monitoring, like you'll never end because there's new therapeutic indications, but like the fundamentals are basically the same. Do you think there's a diminishing returns Versus like if this person really does want to consider going on their own at some point, start learning how to brand themselves, biz dev, that will be greater ROI for their career if that is what they want to do than just continuing to gain more experience as a CRA. I agree with you. I absolutely agree with you. And like I said, the one of the hardest jobs I ever did, and I was I don't think I was particularly good at the close. I'm not. I can sell, but I'm not a good salesperson in the clothes. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, I am with myself because I'm, I know my product, but I, I think business development was an awesome experience for me because it helped me about realize the importance of marketing. Like I said, some people thought I was good. I think some people didn't, doesn't matter. The point is, is that I, you know, I love to write. I've been fortunate, good fortune to be published and I love to speak and people, you know, will let me speak, but I had to start with my core skill set as a, a CRA and then build and grow off of that. And now all these things are coming together and it's like, I'm so glad that I'm nosy. I'm so glad that I need a life and do clinical, didn't have a life and did clinical research on the weekend because I never, I didn't even realize that I was paving the path to this time. And I was mm-hmm. learning and growing and I was so grateful for the experiences, but I was also developing the tools I would need to go off on my own. So yeah, I, um, I think what you're saying is very true. If you limit yourself, what do you say? Generalists? Flourish? Generalist. I've been preaching that yeah. forever. Like I think that is, again, it's just me. I think there's more ROI and, and, obtaining a broad set of skills after you've mastered one thing i think mastery is important master one thing move on to the next you're not going to have time to master that next thing like you did the first one most likely but get some experience in it so maybe biz dev and some marketing then i think ultimately and also the stakeholders try to get exposure to all the different stakeholders the sites the cro the sponsor and the tech vendors which are an increasingly important part of this ecosystem now. They take more than half of the budgets for any study from sponsors is tech vendors. I believe that. Absolutely. Shout I out to Nato, Versatrel, Viva, and Creo. <laughs> all sponsors and all tech vendors, uh, site-centric ones at that. I think that, and you know, you made such an interesting point. Monitoring I mean, you know, there've been so many things. I mean, we talked about this four years ago, like we were both in clinical research when EDC was around, but not, that's it, right? I mean, I know some studies still use paper CRF here and there, they do. In but, Europe, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, and, and and some, I think maybe some in the States, I, I can't say who, what, or when, but um, the, I think when EDC, when we started, EDC wasn't a novelty, but it was like, that's never going to play out, you know, naysayers. And then here we are. Uh, 
we talked about, you know, risk-based monitoring. People were like, it'll never flourish. It'll never go because, you know, it's change and it's dramatic. And we're used yeah. to 100% SDB CRF review. And now we're on, you know, ICHE6R3 is coming up. And I'm not saying that's all risk-based monitoring, but, you know, um, it, it's the, the exception, not the norm. So I think back when tech was becoming more and more part of the integral landscape of clinical trials, there were us skeptics but now if you don't have if you're not computer savvy as a cra you're going to be lost oh i mean yeah that's goes without being said i remember in 05 when i started the first two studies that were i was on as a crc were paper crfs and i remember the sponsors were switching to edc and i i mean i just I just started, so I was like, "Yeah, that makes sense." Instead of writing on this paper, let's just put it in this database. That's better. I had monitors telling me, "Oh, I'm so glad I'm retiring after this study, Dan. These EDC is going to take all of our jobs. I'm done. I'm glad I don't have to worry about this." And it, they're not done. CRAs are more in demand than they've ever been with EDC, mm-hmm. but that was the mentality back then from the old school thinking and who knows maybe i'm old school now and thinking that this whole dct thing is is not going to work out the way the industry expects um i think elements of it are already here it's going to stay but there's other elements where i just like i'm thinking this i don't think this is actually going to work because the different now is you need sites to change their practices it 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 boils down to like the way we're actually seeing patients and to me that's very different than just switching from paper to edc it's it's just a slightly it's the same process it's just a different platform but now we're talking about changing the process and the platform to seeing patients remotely and the telehealth i can see but like delegating to clinicians that are not trained on the study i don't know if that's gonna work out just like virtual trials never took off remember 2019 virtual trials was like all the rage well what happened the you don't hear that anymore i think that i enjoy like i said earlier i love reading the updates by you and brad and other influencers because i feel like i learned a ton i haven't read I'm going to start reading the guidance, FTA guidance on DCTs, hmm. um, because I honestly haven't, you know, I, I've been meaning to read it. Um, I've looked at it high level, but I'm really going to get my teeth into it this week. Um, and I have a little bit of experience with decentralized trials components. And I think, like you said, you know, I can't speak on it. I'm not an expert, but I see the definitely see the benefits of like patient convenience, certain aspects, you know, hybrid on, you know, site hybrid, whatever. But I do agree with your point that, well, patients love coming to sites. I've been to a lot of sites in my career. I mean, sometimes if you have an elderly patient, for example, that's, they live for the study visit because that's their people taking care of them. That's their contact with humanity. That's their compassion. Right. right? Right. And um, then I see, just the benefits. I mean, sites are our lifeblood. Um, well, the argument so- to that from the industry, from and when I say the industry, I mean the DCT 
and their investors. So the DCT tech companies and their investors would argue, well, Elizabeth, we hear you. And for those patients that want to come to the site, let them come. This is just for those that don't want to. But I don't think that's going to work. That's the problem. I just, I think that's wishful thinking. I think problems are going to occur. Like we, in this guidance, it specifically stated the healthcare provider that the PI selects can see patients from a remote location on behalf of the site, but they don't need to be trained on the protocol because they're just doing standard of care things. But in research studies, a lot of that is gray area because the in standard of care, they're not trained to document times as stringently as we are in research. They don't have to do triplicate ECGs five minutes apart. Like they don't have to worry about what time you drew the blood. In research, these are very important things. These are deviations if you don't do it. So you kind of have to train them if you want it done right. But then the guidance is saying, no, no, no need to train. Just get it done. Well, who's going to be responsible for cleaning up the mess when a CRA like you comes through and says, hey, this is a deviation and this one is as well and this one is as well. And you as a CRC say, well, the guidance said we can do this. And then you say, well, that's just guidance. But the protocol says you got to do this. <laughs> so this is where I push back. And a lot of this is like inspired by financial backers of these companies. Like they want this to work, but at the expense of whom? Of sites that actually have to deal with the consequences. That's been myself and Brad and Dr. Fox's main pushback with all of this is hey, like let's address our concerns here. Um, what I think is neat is, and like I said, I can't, you know, I see benefits of, of elements of DCTs. I'm not an expert, so I can't speak to, that's why I leave it to the experts. You guys, I just read I'm the not comments. An expert. <laughs> I'm just but a side I, owner and I'm thinking like, how is this going to work? And do I want to go that far? Raymond from Creo said Creo is like yoga. Like there's different levels of stretching. So, okay. DCT could be like yoga too. There's different elements of, of that telehealth. I'm okay with e-consent. I'm okay with. Having a stranger do do study assessments, I'm not okay with. I just think, uh, like I said, like you made a great point about the importance of training. I'm not speaking to what the guidance says versus <laughs> not. I can't speak to that, but I will say <laughs> training is critically important in clinical research and procedure conduct. That's all I'll say about that. But <laughs> I wanted to ask you a question, if you don't mind. Um, yeah. What was the impetus for Save Our Sites? Because mm. I think... I think that is so clever. Obviously, the SOS save our sites. You've you've been stirring up some awesome publicity, positivity, interest. Yeah, like a reignition almost, if you will. And do you mind if I ask you? Because I just see these posts, and I think this is so awesome. Yeah, well, <laughs> thank you. And we're working on other things too, like on the sponsor side. But yeah, save our sites. The sites need a voice. The sites are the sites are rarely unheard, even though the people coming up with these guidances say they take the site, the stakeholder, all stakeholders' uh, suggestions. For the most part, the people that are supposed to be watching out for sites have not been. 
because they get funding from the tech vendors. They get funding from the sponsors. And interestingly enough, the sites and the sponsors have way more in common than any other stakeholders in this industry. Like, and so, okay, then, then you could say, okay, well, we do get some, some, some feedback from sites. It's very valuable feedback. Well, it turns out it's usually venture capital or private equity backed sites that are huge site networks that have much more in common with CROs and tech vendors than they do Yuma clinical trials or high tower clinical research. And we're here to be a voice for the long tail of the sites, the traditionally unheard from, and either because these sites don't want to go to some of these bigger conferences or because they think it's not for them or they can't afford to, or they can't afford to send all their coordinators. So they just send a biz dev person and the biz dev person could care less about site processes. They care about getting more studies. So they got to schmooze with the CROs and sponsors to do their job of getting more studies. So why are they going to push back on operations when they're there to get studies? Like why, why, why do that? Like that's extracurricular. You don't need it. You're not, that's not what you're there for. You're there to go get a studies, be the face of our site. These are the only kind of sites going to these conferences. You go to more conferences than me. I think you see this as well. I go to one to two conferences a year. Oh, that's it. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. Just because before it was just time. Yeah. And, you know, unless you're speaking, there is cost. Um, And, you know, it's, it's a great investment, but I just have to, especially with starting a new business, it's like, I have to, I have to taper and pace. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I try to go to one to two um, awesome benefits. I love, I mean, there aren't a lot of, um, I mean, there are a lot of sites at conferences, but there, I don't know of another, except for, you know, SCRS, another site dedicated conference. And it's yeah. exciting. I think so too. And it's, it goes back to, the old adage of if you don't like the game, if you don't like the way the game's being played, try to change it. And that's what we're trying to do. I think there's enough of us small sites now with all these platforms, LinkedIn's taking off, um, Twitter, Facebook, if sites still use that, Instagram, like all these um, platforms are amplifying the voice. So collectively, like individually, we're not very loud, but collectively, I think we can make a, a real impact on changes that we would like to see and simple things like let's try to get paid on time or uh, what can we do about these inclusion exclusion criteria when they're like unrealistic? Like, can we maybe reconsider how we're designing some trials? I, I understand that in many cases that's unavoidable, but in some cases it is avoidable and you just make some small changes you can include more patients what about getting more community clinicians doing research like expanding access all this talk about getting more diversity in this industry from a patient from a from a career perspective but no one's really doing that like how do we do that how do we empower an entrepreneur like the next elizabeth the next brad to go out in their community and start a site when we have all this ambiguity around 
what we're allowed to do. And now all this DCT stuff is just making it more complicated. So just bringing it back to the fundamentals and having a voice and having a place where sites can say what they want to say, meet with the sponsors who can actually do something about it. And then the smart tech vendors like Inato, Versatrial, the site-centric ones uh, that are there to to listen and see if they can make tiny changes. And over time, these small changes add up. And that's that's what we're doing. That's The last thing we wanted to do is have another business to run or we're not even concerned, Elizabeth, about making money. Like <laughs> we don't want to lose money. That's and we already haven't. We already broke even on it. Like with the tickets sold already, we still have until December. We have until the end of this year to sell more tickets and sponsorships. But even before like any sponsors, we have 250 tickets sold. That's enough to pay for the venue and the food and alcohol and have a nice event. It's only one day, so it was, it was like lower budget. But we're not concerned with monetizing this right away. Over time, we want this to be lucrative and profitable so we can actually make changes on a larger scale. But we're not concerned with that initially. We are actually are concerned. We're all site owners, and we're concerned about the difference between... It's, it's like a tale of two industries. Uh, those who talk about this crazy stuff, which may or may not ever happen, versus those doing the work right now. And are laughing about these ideas. So that's a mini rant slash story of why we're doing this. I think it's great. I look forward to it. Um, do you do you see it maybe going to two days? Yeah. You've already sold 250 tickets. Not the first event. The first event, we only got one day. But we have an unofficial like next day. So the main event's Friday. We have a bunch of unofficial things on Saturday, like at local bars and restaurants, <laughs> which are, by the way, free. By the way, guys, like you're only paying for the one day, but you're going to probably get one day and a half out of it. Um, That's why we're getting sponsors. So, yeah, we're trying to extend it as much as possible. And then the next year, if this is successful, the next year, I believe it's going to be in Oklahoma City with Brad. We'll have two days, maybe even three days. Who knows? But well, eventually we'll get to where the other conferences are. But we're not going to lose focus of who we're serving. That's fantastic. I'm so happy for you. Congratulations. I remember in the past you telling me that doing a conference is something you would set your mind on in the future. <laughs> and here you are doing it. So that's awesome. Yeah, and we did in 2019. I think, yeah, it was 2019, we did a meetup. So it wasn't a conference, but it was like the precursor to a conference in Irvine. Uh, it was a one-day meetup. It was free. And I think we had like 70 people show up from, and it, it was, there was nothing. You just had to pay for your own way to get there. We even had caterers. We had one sponsor, Creo. Creo paid for the tacos that were there. We had a taco truck. Um, we had 70 people show up. And some people came from North Dakota, Utah. Um, it wasn't just local SoCal people. And that's when I thought, okay, this could actually work like on a national scale. I remember that. I You were nice enough to, I wanted to go, but I couldn't because I had a work conflict. I remember. I, I, I remember. Could, I wish I could have gone because that was, um, when, in, when in 2019 was that? Uh, 
want to say October. October 2019. Who, who would have thunk that uh, six months later we would be um, in a grounded. pandemic? <laughs> I know. In the middle of a pandemic, but yeah. Um, but that, you know, that scare just kind of affected the industry for just like a few months. And then we realized, oh, crap, like we're going to be busier than we've ever been with all this stuff going on. And then we realized the lockdowns were easing off and okay, we can, it's just kind of business as usual again. Um, And here we are now talking DCT and a lot of that stuff was catalyzed by, and the elements of DCT are great. Like I said, I just think it gets jumbled in with all this other noise, which I don't think is going to ever, I don't think even has proof of concept but there's so much money behind it. I feel like there's people trying to force this to happen. And I just don't think it's going to happen. Just like virtual trials. Remember that? Virtual trials, they were trying to force it to happen and never did. You know, I never worked in virtual trials. I can't speak yeah, to that. Yeah, because you actually had a real job where they weren't concerned with that stuff. Like, they were trying to do one PI per state. And in the bigger states, they would have one PI per region. So you would have an investigator, let's say in L.A. L.A. County is pretty big, so they would probably have three investigators. And then they they would have referring sites that would refer patients to those sites. But a lot of the stuff would be done virtually, and it just never worked out. Why? Because no one's referring patients like that. And because the doctors want to do the research themselves if they're going to refer their patients. So never worked. DCT has a better chance of working, but I don't know. It's still tough to convince patients to do a study. You know, you bring up a really good point. It's interesting, um, kind of shifting a little bit about getting, getting, uh, eliciting excitement and getting new investigators, physicians to be investigators. If you're SOS is for, that's what Inato is for. That's what my company DSC is, what equity and investments is for. There's companies out there working to make this happen. Yeah. And and what I had read or heard from a couple of people was, and I, again, I can't quote a source and I'm not SME in any way, shape or form. So I'm going to get that out there. This is just something I read or heard. Something that is not correct, but nevertheless, that occurs to physicians who are reluctant to refer patients to, and this is this is new investigators, but this is also like going to the community and getting more referrals from regular doctors and clinics to clinical research investigators. Um, a worry is if the patient is referred for a clinical trial, then they will stop seeing the provider. Yeah. yeah. And have you heard of that? And what are yeah, your thoughts I on mean, that? All of us who work in the industry and at sites know that that is not true. The problem is these physicians who are supposed to do the referring, they don't believe us. And so this is where DCT is trying to fit in. They're saying, well, you don't have to leave your office. You know, you just the patient are never leaves your office and you're actually getting paid for it. And if if we can pull this off, that's great. I just think that's a big if because they're trying to pull that off without getting these physicians to be trained investigators. Like that's the whole premise that I have a problem with is, okay, well, 
we have our investigator. They know what we're doing. We have our coordinators, but there's no coordinator at this other site where the patients are being seen. And there's a physician, but they're not a they're not an investigator, so they don't really know what you know. It's important to do triplicate EKG. Well, why? Why do we have to do triplicate? We never do triplicate here. We're lucky to do one. Well, that's because the protocol said so. Well. I don't care about the protocol. I, this is my patient. You're just going to cause more issues doing this, I think. I think what we need to do is get all these clinicians who are interested in research to consider doing research. And w whether that's as sub-investigators first um, and then PIs or just sub-investigators and that's it, that's fine. And that's, that's what we're focused on, on trying to do. And even through my YouTube channel, I'm trying to reach out to clinicians to get them more interested in research. I came across a, um, I came across a YouTube video you did, um, in 2014. Wow. Talking about yeah, because I was doing research on a topic which I was writing, and I came across a YouTube video you did um, about how a new investigator can develop his, their, for lack of a better word, their street cred and their experience, start mm. trying to circuit yourself as a sub-I, work as a sub-I. Yep. Great experience. And I, I, I thought that was such a great point because you know, active sub-investigators are not the PI, but they're doing almost everything the PI is doing. Not everything, obviously. Probably, you know, signing off the casebooks, no. Ultimate responsibility on 1372, no. But if you have a busy multi-specialty practice and you have, you know, six, in, six physicians and you have a sub-I one physician is a sub-I for the other physician who's the PI and the sub-I is referring patients to ensure continuity of care. The sub-I is going to want to treat their own patients. Right. So it's just a great way to, and I, I loved your point because it was such a great way to work into the investigator role. If you're an active sub-investigator, to me, that's the perfect way to position yourself to be a PI. I think it's really hard when, you know, I've been to brand new sites and this is a topic because I think of importance for me because I think it's really important to when you're evaluating a site to keep an open mind because oh you're a new investigator oh no we can't touch you which is so not fair because you know right. one time I went to a new site and you know if, if because I was an experienced site evaluator and you know doing pre-study visits there's a, a second set of questions that immediately comes to mind. You know, how many years have you been in, say to the PI, how many years have you been in clinical research? First time, you know, as a PI, I don't have experience in clinical research. Okay. Then immediately I think, okay, what are my next set of questions that unfurl in my old school Rolodex in my head? Um, have you worked as a sub-I? No. Okay. So what training have you or your organization done to prepare you for the PI role? And this site was like, handed me this notebook of all this training that they had ensured this new investigator had done. GCP, human subjects protection, online courses. 
And it was amazing. And he was, the investigator was more well-trained than some experienced PIs yeah. I'd seen. <laughs> and then it's like, what's your plan for administration? Well, we have a person who's really experienced with contracts and budgets. We have a coordinator who's been in the field for 10 years. And so I was immediately going, okay. And then what was the therapeutic area? X, Y, Z. This guy is specializes he's a clinician and his practice is based on seeing this population. So everything married up perfectly. Mm -hmm. So I just, I was just thinking about that video, my philosophy, and it was just interesting. And I wanted to kind of bring it up to you because it's such a great opportunity to ask a new investigator during that time, what they've done, because you can really find out how dedicated they have and prepared they have become to, for the role and it's kind of indicative a little bit of how they would be in the study. Yeah. I just like to remind people of the importance of keeping open mind, open eyes when you hear new. Well, yeah. And there's also th uh, things now. So I'm pr I wrote that down as you were discussing. So I I'm going to redo that video um, because I think it's even more important now than it was back then. There's a lot of companies now, sponsor companies, actually my own company where we consult for we actually work with a lot of new research naive physicians on setting up their sites. Um, there's relationships we've we've created through sponsors, and these are lab specialty sponsors, sample collection studies, where there's still an informed consent. So there's still a patient. There's still a, some kind of condition they're looking for, whether it's RSV, influenza covid um type 2 diabetes i mean there's all kinds so you can not only get a research experience you get therapeutic experience and you could start out by doing like one of these sample studies and we've got these relationships lined up for people through dscs sweat equity investments which is why we're growing like crazy with these new investigators um so now you put on your resume yeah i do have research experience you're only research naive once as a PI, but even that term research naive, like you and I, we've never been PIs, right? So in the eyes of a sponsor, we're research naive. You know, we can't, we can never be PIs. Well, we're obviously not doctors as well, but when it comes to a clinician, they're considered research naive because they haven't done a study as a PI, but what if they've done a study as a sub-I? Well, then they're no longer research naive. But then they're PI research naive, which they do ask those questions too. But now if you do one of these simpler kind of studies, well, now none of those are true anymore. And you're an experienced PI. So there's little, there's, there's been some changes. It's almost 10 years now. And it's, I think it's a little easier uh, for those research naive physicians to get it in, in the industry an interesting topic i've i'm i'm actually started writing an article about it um as yet unpublished but um because it, it's been a you know don't get a red flag when you see new mm. do the due dil diligence uncover it's like uncovering i'm peeling an onion right yeah um to figure out what's been done um yeah so i just loved i liked your video yeah and, thank you um, for that i wrote it down so i could redo that video it looked like it was outside one of your sites. Yeah, this will be done professionally. Now we got a videographer for the pillar pieces of content. So I'll I'll redo that and probably 
reach more clinicians this way, which is good for diversity, for all the things the industry wants to do. Bringing access to patients. Well, this is what DCT, this is at the heart of DCT, is bringing access to patients. Well, what about instead of all this technology, which a lot of it's good, but a lot of it's still a very beta mode, why not just have more clinics across the country and not like CVS or Walgreens, but like actual clinicians doing real studies in their clinics? Because we saw what happened with CVS and I predict now July 3rd, 2023, Walgreens will not be too far behind from not doing research anymore. You guys will see. Well, I'm glad we have the experts like you. You know, like I said, there are definite benefits to DCTs. I can't speak on any more than that, but there's also such an importance of sites and there needs to be a good balance in my opinion, in my humble opinion. Um, and our sites are our greatest resource. And every time I visit a site, I'm appreciative of what they do and how I'm treated and what I've learned. And okay. I think that's a theme in my writing and speaking is just, you know, whenever you meet somebody, whenever you encounter somebody, that positivity, professionalism, remember they have a skill set they bring that could be greater than yours, even though it's different and have that respect because we all need each other. And I know that sounds yeah. sappy, but I truly believe that. And I try to, I try to, that's my narrative, boring <laughs> or not. <laughs> and oftentimes like the outsiders, I mean, maybe my hesitation, in a lot of these newer strategies is because I'm, I've been in the industry too long and I've, maybe I've grown somewhat jaded by how these things, how I can see these things actually working in the industry. So sometimes it's good to have fresh perspective. Well, why don't you do it this way? My new CRC, she's been with me a year now, but when she was brand new, because we use Creo, so we use eSource. And then we also have an EDC for every study, like you know. And she said, why do we, why are we putting this information twice? Like I said, you know what? <laughs> That's a very good question. Because with paper, I understood why you put it twice. The paper, and then there's got to be a database that it goes to. But with eSource, well, why can't it just be ported somewhere? And the people at Creo are trying to work on this. But she's an outsider that asked a question. And we were holding on to sacred cow still. So, yeah, I agree with you. That is so funny. I, I think that um, one of the things, and I'm not giving false praise, but one of the things I enjoy about you is like you did a post at Christmas about the importance of encouraging people. I don't know if you remember this post that you did. You did a post about encouraging people and don't have your, don't have, I mean, some people seem like the controversies all they, and I'm not judging. People can post whatever they want. That's the beauty of living in America. Yeah. But, but, <laughs> Some people you had mentioned, you know, make your post beneficial to help educate, to help show about new opportunities. And I really like that because that's what I, I try to do. And hmm. that just made me think a lot about, you know, when you have the opportunity to impact and, and people read your posts and you or whoever influencer and people impact, you have an impact and you reach people. I just, you know, I love your message and I always try to be very careful about the message that I'm projecting. So I really yeah. liked that post and I appreciate that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I don't remember it, but 
like, I, I mean, I remember too much about your post. <laughs> I'm it's thinking about the life. next one. I'm, I'm all like, I'm thinking about the new one you told me to do, or you, you, um, you inspired me to do now. So that's what I'm, I'm thinking about like the next step, but you're right. And a lot of negativity, like memes, a lot of people don't like my memes. A lot of people don't like Dr. Fox, Brad's memes. Um, a lot of people have taken this play, this page out of the playbook and kind of gone rants on LinkedIn. And I try to always balance that with something. Cause I think that's important also to get the emotional, like the visceral emotion you have from this pain point. The algorithm favors that. Like when I, when I post something positive versus like a meme, that's just poking fun at something that we all know is annoying about this industry. That one does way better. The positive one doesn't do as well, but it's important to balance the two. And there's, there's some people who just live for what the algorithm does and just, you know, they keep going negative. Let's go more negative, more negative. And I always try to keep that in mind because at the end of the day, what am I trying to do? I'm trying to get more people aware about research and I'm trying to get more clinicians, especially aware about the opportunities they can have for their patients and themselves. And then from the career side also, but I equally important to keep the sites like the voice of the sites in mind. A lot of sites are frustrated and they don't have the platform to share and, they're happy myself, Brad and, and Dr. Fox are doing this stuff. I think your memes are hysterical. Some of them. <laughs> I always enjoy your memes. I think they're great. So there's I think a lot I don't post. Important. There's a lot I don't <laughs> post. You should see oh, my phone. <laughs> if, if there's there's a bunch on my phone I have not posted that I don't think will ever make it, but who knows? Maybe I they understand will. that, Dan. I totally <laughs> do. <laughs> So the book, everybody go get the book, go connect. Elizabeth's LinkedIn is underneath this video or in the show notes. If you're listening on the podcast, this is a career worth following. She spent two decades at the site and zero level, mostly the zero level. Now she's going on her own as a consultant, as an influencer, as a really a generalist and an expert. And so it's it's going to be kind of cool to follow your career, this next phase of your career. And everyone can do it because we all live in public now on LinkedIn. And your posts are really good. You've got informative posts like this DOA log one. You've got stories. You've got you you keep it interesting. I think I think you need a podcast. I really think you would do well. I like how this interview shifted towards the end to you interviewing me. You're a natural podcast host. I think you need to do it. That's really nice. Thank you. I love finding out about people. You are so interesting and I like finding out what you're doing. And so I did forgive if I didn't mean no, to put you on the I love spot. It. I That's love good. the back and forth. So thank you for that compliment. I, I, Brad said the same thing when I was on his show. He goes, I didn't know I was being interviewed. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. It's your fault because you're interesting. <laughs> I think the conversation is what we're going for, regardless of who's interviewing who. It's the conversation, the ideas that come out from um, a, a two-way conversation. So thank you. Well, thank you for that, Elizabeth. Oh, Dan, thank you. It's always so nice. And I have a favor to ask. Can it not be four years the next time we talk? It seemed like only one. I'm telling you, 
I hesitated to reach out because I was thinking in the back of my mind, why would we do it again? She's going to think like it's too soon. I really thought that. Oh, no. I thought I that. I'm, you know I'm teasing you. I enjoy speaking with you so much. <laughs> Anytime you want to talk and I'm free, I mean, please contact Let's me. Let's do it. And, Let's do it. Are you on Twitter? I love it. And thank you. I'm not on Twitter. I'm on, um, well, I am on Twitter, but I'm not active. TikTok, yes. Um, um, Facebook, mm, LinkedIn is my main one. I probably should branch out. Um, I Twitter was my first besides YouTube. It was YouTube and then Twitter was used back in 09 to like promote the videos. Right. And then Twitter became this like great place. And then it just kind of like LinkedIn took off and I kind of ignored Twitter. But Twitter's doing so much innovating now in the Twitter spaces. I'm going to try to find more researchers that are actually on Twitter or willing to get on Twitter and we can just do like Twitter spaces and things like that because i think there's more dialogue that could be had in a different kind of format on twitter than we have on linkedin no i agree with you and i also um i'm going to be starting because i brand last thing i'm not trying to digress i branched out into doing videos and it's been Ah. interesting because i i i enjoy it um i'm getting better i think my first one was pretty good my second one i was going like this a lot let me find it. Let me my find content it. was right here. I think you find your place, but I think it's good to post the the. I think it's good to post the polished and the not so polished ones. Oh yeah, I'm I see. And yeah, I'm human, and you know, my first one I liked. My second one, the content was great, but I, my husband's like, why are you doing, why are you got to get your stuff up? So, and I'm like, okay, sorry. And then the third one better. <laughs> um, it's an evolution, but I think it's good to for other people to see what you try, yeah. where you do well, where you need to do better. <laughs> and I love authentic videos like other people who post and they, they're they just raw and natural. And I appreciate that. So not everything has to be perfect. So no, definitely not. A YouTube channel. Yeah. You need to. I was just going to say, you need a YouTube channel. You need a podcast. These can go on TikTok. These can go on LinkedIn. These can go on Instagram. These can go on Twitter. I think Twitter is going to come back, especially with this Twitter spaces where you can just get thousands of people in a room and just audio talk to each other. It's kind of cool. I'm thinking of how we can start doing that for research because LinkedIn doesn't have that feature. That would be great. That would be interesting. Please think of me if you do that. Oh, for sure. For sure. I'm going to find you on there right now. (laughs) But everybody go connect with Elizabeth. Her LinkedIn is in the show notes. And the book, too. The link will be there, too. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. Dan, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. It was great. Like, subscribe, comment, share, guys. Bye-bye.